0: it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
1: In scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him which was confirmation that in this moment, when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her and that in an instant from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me To help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind, she wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment.
2: Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. Every story is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16.15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find every story wherever you listen to podcasts. Also follow doxology bible church on facebook or instagram at doxology bible want to share your story or know someone who might send us an email to stories at doxology.church because everyone has a story
0: hey it's chris freeland and you're listening to the doxology bible church podcast If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
1: Hey, good morning, Doxology. Welcome. So good to worship with you this morning. You know, this is an exciting week around here for our children's ministry as we have explosion going on. And we're praying a whole bunch of kids will hear and respond to Jesus this week. I'm inviting you to pray that prayer as well. You know, as we get started this morning, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. As we're right in the middle of a series that we've called Getting Out of Airplane Mode. As we have looked at the Lord's Prayer. You know, do you ever feel like life as a Christ follower feels a little bit like being in airplane mode? You're reminded that you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have God's presence, but you don't feel like it. You're a part of the body of Christ, but you feel more like that baby tooth that dad pulled out when you were seven. Ever feel like there's so much you're told that you have access to, but don't feel like you're living in it? Well, you're not alone. The disciples witnessed Jesus's life and saw something different, a moment-by-moment connection with God that showed up in everything he did, and they ached for that type of life. You know, I don't know about you, but I ache for that type of life, too. A life of constant connection with God, moment by moment, providing guidance and joy, direction and wisdom for my day. That aching led his disciples to trace it back, and they saw that the spring from where that type of life flows is prayer. Every rabbi or teacher during the time of Jesus was being asked how to live, how to work, how to pray. People would hang around and learn what they did and then try to imitate it for themselves. Jesus' disciples did that exact same thing with him, but only once. And they asked, Lord, teach us to pray like you do. Which I don't know about you, but I might have wanted some other tips, like how to walk on water if I were them. But truth be told, we shouldn't find it surprising that they wanted to know how to pray. Romans reminds us that we often don't know what to pray. The disciples didn't know how to pray or what to pray, at least not like Jesus. So they asked him. Last week, we looked at the section where Jesus says, hallowed be your name. And we were reminded that in moments when we struggle with scarcity, anonymity, and inadequacy, in those moments, we could go to the one who's greater than our greatest fear, bigger than our biggest obstacle, and nearer than the person who loves us best. I hope you had the opportunity to share with family or friends or your community group examples where you saw him show up in those moments in your past. Those can be powerful reminders that we all need of God's work on display in our lives. And I don't know about you, but some of the most meaningful prayers and answers I've had were actually the unanswered prayers. If we were to go around the room today, I would bet that almost every single one of us could take time to tell a story of a prayer that you prayed and longed for and were consumed by. Yet that's not the answer God gave. Instead, he didn't provide that job. You didn't marry that individual. You didn't get into that school. In the moment, you may have been devastated. Perhaps even now it can be tough. But you see the good that has come from it and are thankful for the unanswered prayer. And yes, before you email me the link to that song, I'm aware Garth Brooks wrote a song about this. We all have unanswered prayers. But how do we get to a place where we're good with them in the moment? Not just in hindsight as we look back. That's what we're going to tackle this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll look at verse 10. It says this. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, some of my first memories of this prayer were little league games. When I was a kid, my dad coached some of our teams. I can remember that before our games, he would have us all take a knee and say the Lord's Prayer. A bunch of second or third graders taking a knee, saying things they didn't necessarily know what they were saying. But it wasn't until later that it occurred to me that maybe it wasn't my inability to hit a curveball that caused us to be mediocre that year. But what if it was this prayer right here, praying that God's will would be done? Maybe that's the reason. I mean that in jest mostly. I seriously struggled to hit a curveball. But this part of the prayer is tough for us, isn't it? It can be tough for a few reasons. One of which is that a few things stand out as different from the ways that we often pray. First, the person the prayers are centered around is not us, but God. See, throughout the first half of the prayer, Jesus teaches us that the focus of prayer is on God, not ourselves. The person the prayer centers around still here in verse 10, and not us yet, it's God. And I don't know about you, but as I think about this in comparison with my own prayer life, I find that so much of my prayers are focused on me. Maybe that would be true for you as well. Help them, Lord. Heal so-and-so. Provide me with this or with that. Could you please let them sleep through the night, just this one night, please? Those things aren't bad or wrong or things we shouldn't take to God. But that's not where Jesus' starts. Instead, Jesus is is telling us that praying for God's kingdom or his will before anything else um, is mentioned about ourselves. That's the way prayer is supposed to look. Often if we're honest, our prayer life looks much more like a list of requests or suggestions that we're bringing to a supervisor or a landlord more than asking our Father in heaven, whose name alone is set apart, to work as He will. Instead, we're telling Him what we think needs to be done. Jesus invites us into a better way, a way that gives us access to abundant life to the full, where our focus is not on ourselves, but it's on God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, insisted that asking for God's kingdom and will to be done, uh, which, let's be honest, they're going to be done regardless. is about stretching our hearts so that we would learn greater realities. Jen and I have some friends with with some older kids, and years ago uh, their kids were still making Christmas lists, asking for toys or video games or just, just stuff. And they challenged their kids to think bigger about how to leverage that holiday for greater relationship time, investment, in those relationships, thinking about taking trips together, experiencing the world and all of its beauty as a family. Their kids began to ask and they went on these trips and their kids never went back. See, a trip to ski or a cruise was so much better than AirPods or a new PlayStation game. They just hadn't realized it yet until they asked. Praying this way for God's kingdom and God's will helps to change and even grow our our perspective. It changes us inherently. I remember talking to my mom when she was battling with cancer a number of years ago, and she said one of the hardest parts in praying this was not dealing with it personally. She knew death was coming. She could accept that that was God's will for her life, but was realizing that this was God's will for us too, having to deal with the grief without her. So praying your will be done, it stretches us. But in doing so, it allows us to see blessings that come and, and value things that we would have missed had we not prayed for his kingdom and his will. All of a sudden we began praying those prayers, and family gatherings were no longer overlooked. They were seen as a gift. Time to say what needed to be said. It was a gift. Small things such as the beauty of a flower or a cool breeze gave us a greater perspective of God's goodness than we would have had before. The second thing, though, that we see that's different is the focus on the place. See, we just saw the, the, the first thing is it, it's different because it focuses on the person. Now it's a focus on the place. The prayer is for the kingdom and his will to take place here on earth, not us going up to heaven. We'll talk more about the kingdom here in just a minute. But sometimes our focus can be so concerned with what's next or what's after this life that we forget God's concern with this place right now. Praying that God's kingdom and his will would be done here as it is in heaven is this idea of all that's true of heaven, the place where God dwells, to also begin to make its appearance and its influence known here on earth. So God's character, his love, his patience, his His mercy, his justice, his righteousness, his reputation, even his presence all being experienced here on earth. It doesn't take much to see why as we think about the brokenness of all of our world. God's kingdom and his will is the only hope we have of restoration here on earth. The third way this request may seem different from our own is the thing that it focuses upon, namely God's kingdom and his will. What's the kingdom? Well, Barry Jones says that there are three things that make up the kingdom of God. The first is this, God's personal presence. His presence, from beginning of Scripture to the very end, God longed to dwell with His people. In the Garden, we see Him walking with them in the cool of the day, and then at the very end, in Revelation twenty-one, it says that He will make His home with us. His kingdom will also include His just reign. See, it's not just His presence, but it's His just reign over all things. See, we look at political leaders, not just here. In America, but everywhere, and we see scandal. We see them leverage for personal benefit. We see them exalt or prop up some at the expense of others. All of that falls short of God's just and righteous character. The kingdom is a place where He reigns over all and brings about that which we know is true and right and good for all people. Finally, the kingdom will bring His perfect peace. This word peace, it's shalom. It's that Hebrew word that carries the idea of an absence of hostility. But more than that, it also means that everything is working as it should to its full potential. So his presence, his peace, and his rule are present in the kingdom that he exhorts us to pray for. Now this kingdom is yet to come, but we should pray for that day. But also until that time manifests itself. We should uh, look for little glimpses or previews that would take place as we anticipate his return and establishment of it in its full glory. Sometimes those prayers lead us to action. They should. The thing that we're praying for, that God's peace or his justice or his presence would be experienced by all here on earth, would lead us to be agents or ambassadors of that kingdom. We do that as we neighbor. We enter that, our workplace with different priorities, or as we vote, not with ultimate allegiance to our country, but to a heavenly kingdom. We do that as we volunteer locally. Tom and Deborah Dees have been doing that with Hero to Hero. I love the way, just in talking to Tom, one of the things that he mentioned to me is that as he's been volunteering over the last several years, it's not comfortable. It never has been. He would be anxious or nervous every single time that he walked into those meetings. But he knew it was worthwhile work and it was worthwhile ministry that the Lord wanted him to invest his life into. Secondly, we see a prayer for God's will, though. See, first, it was God's kingdom. Now he he commands us to pray for God's will. Now, God's will involves his righteous demands as well as his permissive will as he allows certain events in history. So in looking at the verse and Jesus' invitation to pray and live with God's kingdom and his will as the priority of our lives, it begs the question for us, what prevents us from this type of prayer life? What prevents us from this type of prayer life? Well, for some, The first thing that prevents us is control. We sometimes worry that praying for God's kingdom or his will prevents us from control of our circumstances. It's a lack of self-awareness to see that we never had control of them in the first place. Jesus invites us to pray this way, helping us to understand that he is the one who's in control of all things and to rest in him and his kingdom and his will more than our own. For some, it's control. For others, it's comfort. We worry that asking for God's kingdom or his will might mean greater sacrifice or challenges to our life that we currently are experiencing. We have a life that may not be a breeze, but it's relatively comfortable, and we might lose that if God's kingdom or God's will begins to be established. More than likely, though, most of us have a genuine desire for God's will and his kingdom, but we're distracted and we lack perspective. See, Perspective prevents us from praying this way. We can't see how much better God's kingdom truly is than what we want. How beautiful his way is in comparison with our own. As a parent, one of the challenges that we've had with our boys often is with medicine. Am I right, parents? How many of us have had a sick child who refuses to take medicine that is designed to help them overcome what they're crying about, what's hurting them or ailing them? I can remember times where we were physically holding them down, propping their mouth open, and they're refusing. Why? Why? They lack perspective. Jesus, he's inviting us here to a life of perspective that sees and trusts that his kingdom and will is bigger and better and broader and wider than the small requests and desires that we think we want or need. The life he invites us into, we would pick if only we had his perspective. Jesus invites us and those first disciples to something that he's doing. It didn't prevent him from experiencing ridicule or trials. Sometimes, though, it may lead us to something that, they, that we would have thought would have been f- for our good. But once we experience it, we recognize how much better it was than what we would have thought. It's like the way I used to think I would hate avocados up until the time in which I moved to Texas and started trying them. Now I can't imagine life without guacamole. Amen? For some, the tricky part is knowing what I'm praying for. Is is it God's will and his kingdom? Or is it my own? I can't can't figure it out. We want God's will and his kingdom, but we also want our desires to be fulfilled too. So how do we know that we're ordering those things rightly? Well, first, prayer is a place to be honest before God, to tell him your struggle. This is a life where we can come to God openly and express those things in truth. One of the challenges for us is that we must be self-aware. Often when scripture talks about prayer, one of the first things it says is that we are supposed to be watchful in prayer. Here's a question Kyle Strobel used to flesh this out that I found so incredibly helpful. It says, do we really want God's will or do we see God as the way to get our own will done? Do we really want God's will or do we see God as the way to get our own will done? One of the ways to figure that out is to take inventory of your passions and your priorities Your passions and your priorities. Think about uh, your priorities for a second. Take some time to reflect, asking yourself some of the following questions. What gets overlooked as you plan? What drops through the cracks? What's the first thing to get moved when you get busy? What are you willing to say no to to make time for? When I was in high school, some of my friends and I would go to an all-you-can-eat rib place almost every week. Uh, Most of these guys were offensive linemen, and they could eat. And the waitresses would always bring out the sides along with the ribs, but none of us were interested in that. See, they were just a space filler, a room taker that kept us from the main course. What are those sides that may be keeping you from the main course of the kingdom and will of God in your life? Second, take a look at your your passions, though. So, we just looked at priorities. Now, take a look at your passions. What are you passionate about? What gets you riled up or emotional? What makes you angry or sad? Jesus got angry at times, at injustice or hypocrisy. But if you look at his life, it's noticeable that he's never railing against a broken political system, but instead, he's always seeing it in light of the kingdom of heaven that he's come to establish. What are those things that get you passionate? Evaluating your passions, your priorities can help you to identify is this God's will, God's kingdom? my own and Jesus invites us into a life with God moment by moment that he experienced and lived out. He doesn't ask us to do something or pray something that he didn't do or pray himself. instead throughout his life we see him retreating to isolated spots to pray, coming back and not experiencing comfort or popularity but rejection and obstacles. That was throughout his life and at the end of his life in Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified as he awaited a mob to take him away, Jesus prayed. While others were sleeping, Jesus prayed. He spoke honestly and authentically to God the Father. And his words are these same words that we see here. For he says, Father, if you were willing, take this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will be done. These exact words that he tells his disciples, he speaks to God the Father. And those it's not like some aside, like, God, this is what I would want, but nevertheless, your will be done. That's sometimes how we say it, isn't it? Instead, Jesus begins honestly with the Father, asking a big prayer. That's a great example for us. He says, if there's another way to deal with sin and allow people to experience relationship with you forever, without my death, I'm asking for that, Father. See, it's okay to come to God and ask him for that big, honest request first. Father, you know I'm praying for healing. Lord, would you heal so that your power over all things would be made known? Let Jesus reign over this. Would you do it this way or whatever way that would be most clear for his reign and his power to be made known? That just like that prayer that Jesus prayed is a prayer of trust, resting in God's will and his kingdom being better, even if we have trouble seeing how. Jesus' prayer was also a prayer of humility, though. He's acknowledging the Father and humbly being obedient to the Father's plan. Our prayers for kingdom and God's will will mean we, too, are humbly acknowledging our own limitations and perspective. Finally, Jesus' prayer displays a level of indifference. That's not to say he was apathetic, but he was open to whatever answer God was going to give. Peter Scazzaro says it this way, The degree to which we are open to any outcome or answer from God is the degree to which we are ready to really hear what God has to say. So are you closed-fisted around one outcome? Are you open-handed? Jesus understands. It can be costly. But he invites us to a life of trust, a life of humility, a life of indifference to our will, knowing God's kingdom and God's will is so much better than our own. For some, perhaps... The next step that God would want you to take is to discipline yourself to take the time at the beginning of the day to look over your day, look over your schedule, asking and welcoming God to work in your meetings, your workload, your interruptions, and all the moments in a way that honors him by establishing signposts of his kingdom and accomplishes his will. You can begin to do that tomorrow by starting your day that way. For others, maybe tonight or sometime this week, the step you could take is you can gather with family, close friends or your community group, and take turns telling the story of a time where God didn't give you your will, but his, of an unanswered prayer in your life. Here's where community can be so necessary for all of us, for all the ways in which we can identify unanswered prayers in the past that were for our good, in the moment we struggle to see and to trust God. As we share with one another, we're better equipped to help one another so that as we share prayer requests later on in that group meeting or with family members, we're able to remind each other that when the request isn't answered the way that we want, that once again, the Lord is good and able and still pouring forth his goodness in the unanswered prayer. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you and we know that you are good and you are over all things. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that as we enter into this next week that your kingdom and your will would be done in our lives. Lord, we know that they are bigger and they are so much uh, more for our good. Lord, we ask that you would work those things out. Lord, we ask that in the interruptions, we ask that in the meetings, we ask that in um, all the moments uh, over this next week, Lord, that you would remind us of our need for you, that you would allow us to walk in humility, understanding that your perspective is more broad than ours. And as a result of that, Lord, that we would walk in trust of you and what you're doing in our world, in our country, in our city, in our homes. Lord, we also ask that that we would come before you with open hands, not close-fisted, but open hands, ready and willing to accept what is your will and your kingdom at work in our lives. And Lord, would you empower us to be agents of that all around us so that your glory and your fame and your love and your patience and mercy would be made known. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.